you to open your Bibles to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, and chapter 10. This is a familiar account here of a blind man who, uh, who met the Lord, and the Lord changed his life. Mark uh, chapter 10. The story about blind Bartimaeus is also found in Luke 18 and in Matthew 20, though in Matthew it mentions there were two blind men. It's, it's not entirely uh, certain, but it seems most likely that all three of these accounts are about Bartimaeus, who is named here in Mark. And we'll start at verse 46. Now they came to Jericho. This is Jesus and his followers. 
As he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then many warned him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And then they called the blind man and saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. And then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. I forgot to mention I was reading this from the New King James. Uh, the, uh, the King James says, uh, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And you'll recognize that Rabboni, uh, the only other place that is used, I believe, in the New Testament is in the, in the garden after the resurrection when Mary Magdalene greeted Jesus. But we see here a blind man. And, and I have a lot of sympathy, I'm sure we all do, for blind and sight-impaired people. I, I feel sorry for my dad. Most of his life he could see the farm and saw sunsets and saw his family and children clearly. I sympathize with Myron and our son Ivan. I, I feel a grief for those people. Uh, they re really bless me with the way they have met this challenge in their, their lives. Now, we don't know whether Bartimaeus was born blind and that was the only thing he knew, or was he blind because of some injury or some disease or infection? That was very common uh, cause of blindness in, in Israel in those days. We don't know. Uh, it would seem like maybe it came later in life because it was a very, it was a difficult thing for him, you could tell. It, uh, he, he faced a severe handicap, a loss that complicated his life. And he was limited in how he could make a living. It was a frustration and a struggle. But somewhere, somehow, he had heard about Jesus. He no doubt heard stories of Jesus' healings. And even blind people seeing again can imagine that that would catch his attention. And Bartimaeus must have felt some hope. And I expect that he hoped, even prayed, that sometime Jesus would come to Jericho. And one day a crowd was approaching down the road, just outside of Jericho, and he could hear them coming. He could hear the talking. He could hear the shuffling of footsteps the commotion of a large group moving along the road. And somebody told him, 
Jesus is in the crowd. Jesus is coming by. And Bartimaeus' heart must have leaped in him. And he didn't wait. But he cried out for help. And it wasn't a calm, uh, conversational kind of around the dinner table request like, would you mind passing the potatoes? But it was the cry of a, of a lost soul on a sinking ship. Bartimaeus shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. How, how earnest would we be if we were in uh, a situation similar to his? If we were on a sinking ship and then another craft came into view, would we be casual, indifferent, just sort of half-heartedly waving our hand a little bit? Or would we be a little bit earnest, concerned, but easily distracted and had other priorities just in the middle of, just in the middle of a sandwich? And uh, so we don't give it a lot of attention. Or would we be seriously earnest and desperate and getting the attention of this passing boat would be high priority. I think I would be waving frantically and throwing stuff into the air, whatever, waving my shirt, making all kinds of effort. Bartimaeus was seriously earnest. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. We don't know how often he must have shouted, but uh, it was enough often enough and loud enough that it aggravated the bystanders and told him to hush up. But Jesus heard heard his call and heard the desperation, heard the earnestness and the desire, and Jesus paused. And we know how Jesus healed him. And Bartimaeus followed Jesus with a joyful and thankful heart and praise. In Luke it says, immediately he received his sight and followed him glorifying God. And all the people when they saw it gave praise unto God. Now here's the question. Do you think that Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus's earnest desire for deliverance, for healing and help had anything to do with Jesus stopping by the road near Jericho to heal him? If it hadn't mattered much to Bartimaeus, would Jesus have stopped? Might Jesus have continued on his way into town if Bartimaeus hadn't cried out and Bartimaeus remained by the road still as blind as ever? In the same way that Bartimaeus had a physical need, 
So also many Christians have spiritual needs. It's, it's always been like that. Reading through Acts and the epistles and the letters to the churches in Revelation, we see many weaknesses, many flaws, many problems among the Christians. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul wrote, Now there is utterly a fault among you, because you go to law one against another. You do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. And we remember how later in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, when he was talking about uh, communion, uh, that he said to them about examining themselves, he said, now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not. You come together not for the better, but for the worse. There are divisions among them and aggravations and cliques and upset people. That's just in Corinth. In Galatia, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? And in Hebrews, the writer talks of his readers to his readers and says, ye are dull of hearing. To the church at Ephesus, I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. To the church at Pergamos, I have a few things against you because you have there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. And to the church at Thyatira, I have a few things against thee because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel. And to the church at Sardis, thou hast a name, a reputation that thou livest and art dead. And we remember maybe better than any of the rest, the uh, admonition to the church of the Laodiceans. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. That's a small sampling of, of weaknesses and sins and faults and flaws and problems among Christians in the New Testament church. And in every case, we can be sure that these weaknesses, these shortcomings, these sins hindered their spiritual progress. It hindered their victory. It hindered the quality and the quantity of their spiritual fruit. These, these issues hindered their being able to help their brothers and sisters in Christ. It affected what kind of husbands and wives they were and what kinds of moms and dads, employers, employees. And it dulled the light of their testimony 
to the world, sometimes even distorted it. That was true then, and it's true now. And often when I read the Bible, I see things in myself that aren't like they ought to be. Spiritual lacks, weaknesses. And I, I would just, I imagine that that has happened to, to you as well, to many of you. It, it should happen to us. But a question for us this morning, for myself, in, in dealing with these lacks and weaknesses in our lives, what, what difference might it make if we called out more like Bartimaeus by the road to God for help? Like the prayer of that father of the son who was attacked by a demon. And Jesus said that if you can believe, I can help you. All things are possible if you believe. And the father of the child cried out and said with, with tears, earnestly, desperately, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And I think of that publican, that dear man, I, I look forward to meeting him, who would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but he beat his chest and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You can sense the earnestness in that father talking to Jesus, the desperation. We can sense the earnestness, the desperation in the publican's prayer. It's no question but what he knew his need and he knew that God was his only hope for deliverance. I'd like us to, uh, to consider some needs. There are more, many, but just a few that we can have, that I've had, that I have to deal with, that affect our communion with God and our fruitfulness and our effectiveness in God's service. And I'll call them great needs. And the great need number one is to recognize our needs. Because there's just a tendency, uh, like with the lukewarmly Odysseans, to look past our needs, to not see them, to not see how uh, serious they are. And the message to the Laodicean church was, that you think you are in good shape, you think you're rich, but you don't know, you don't see how wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked you are, how needy you are, and you don't see how much I can help you. You don't recognize that I have an eye salve that to put on your eyes so you can see We need to see 
ourselves and see our needs and see God's answer. The psalmist prayed, search me, O God, and know my heart, try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. And we can pray that. We should pray that. Search me, O God. Is there any wicked way in me? Is there any careless way in me? Is there indifference? Are there things in my life that are hindering my relationship with you and my effectiveness for you, my spiritual growth? God can help us to, to see those things. And he can help us to understand what needs to change. Because God, God doesn't want to just uh, tell us, hey, you're wrong here. You're doing badly. But he wants to show us uh, how we should go from here. The ways everlasting. And that brings us to the next great need. And that is to see, uh, not just see the need for change, but to see the steps that we need to take and be willing to take them, to do what we hear. That is a great need. God help us to have a doer's heart. It's easy to be convicted about something, to be stirred about something in a message and something we read through the revival meetings and something clicks, I've got to take care of this. I've got to do this. I've got to do better. In that, we've heard it. But then when it comes to the doing, to kind of bump it away, tomorrow, manana, let's wait a little longer or it's not handy just now. James wrote in the first chapter that familiar, those familiar verses. Uh, James 1, beginning at verse 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself and goeth away and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Notice that when we just hear, when we just understand and then don't take any steps that we can deceive our own selves. When we bump things away, kick cans down the road, then that voice becomes more dim. Pretty soon we don't hear it. We've forgotten it. We knew, but we didn't do. We need to do what we hear. Maybe we'll realize that 
you know, really, I need more devotional time. And to be a healthy, fruitful branch requires a strong flow of nutrients from the vine, from Jesus Christ. And so that means time with the Bible, with meditation and prayer, communing with God. That's simple stuff. That's that's just down to earth, a spiritual law of cause and effect. Somehow we have to be a doer, not just a knower about that great truth. We'll see sins in a more clear light and we'll see indulgences that are sapping spiritual life and strength and we'll know I've got to do something. I've got to quit that. I've got to drop that. I'm doing too much of that. It's out of balance. Do it. Are we are reminded of something that needs to be taken care of, that needs to be made right with somebody? Take care of it. In that Psalm 139, 23 and 24, search me, O God. He's praying, not just know my heart, but lead me in the way everlasting. And we pray. God, show me. And we pray. God, help me to do what you show me. And God gives grace, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We need that. We, we, we should pray for it. God, show me where, where I'm going wrong. Show me the lacks in my life. Show me where to change what I need to do better. Give me grace to do it. For great need number three, and these things are all together, really. Uh, turn to Luke 11. <clears throat> In this chapter, the first part of the chapter, the disciples came to Jesus who had been praying. And one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And so Jesus taught them to pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We'll not study the prayer, but just uh, after he finished the prayer, verse 14 in verse 5, he says, And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto thee, 
I say unto you, Though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. A lesson here that God hears prayers. He hears us when we pray sincerely, uh, not just by rote memory, the Lord's Prayer. That has some amazing concepts in there that describe our needs so well. And he's saying here, God hears the prayers of persistent, the earnest, persistent prayers of his children. And then he goes on. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you, seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? We need the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. The Holy Spirit can show us the things that aren't like they should be. The Holy Spirit can show us and will show us through his word where we should be going, what we should be doing different. The Holy Spirit gives us power to do those things, to live that life. Without the fullness of the Spirit, we are weak, and limited in our fruitfulness. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. As we deal with the flesh and the world and the devil and their influence in our lives, as we take a strong stand against them, as we genuinely repent, God, God responds. God works in us a new heart, a transformed mind. It, it's the work of the indwelling spirit of God. And dealing with those things gives God's spirit freedom to work with power in a way that he can when we're holding on to those things. And when we're uh, not admitting that there are things in our life that aren't as they should be. And when we're unwilling to make the changes that he is asking of us. A lack of surrender means a lack in, in experiencing God's spirit at work.
And so we pray, God, give me the Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Show me the hindrances, the things that limit your power. Show me the ways everlasting and I will walk in it. Great need number four that I want to touch on is to love God and our neighbors. And this is this is all part of, of the Holy Spirit within us. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. There's a great, a great emphasis in the New Testament on loving God and others. It's, it's mentioned many times. And Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two forty, on these two commandments, to love God with all our heart, soul, and strength, and our neighbor as ourself, on these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. Let's turn to uh, Ephesians 3, and I'll just read quickly through Paul's prayer, that praying that we experience a communion with God and that we are growing in our relationship with God in our love for Him and His love for us. For this cause, verse 14, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Now certainly uh, this is a prayer uh, that God would help us see and understand his love for us, that we would experience God's love that we would know it. That also involves our loving God and pray that we love God to the extent that we would be completely devoted to Him and so single-minded in our devotion to Him that, I, that our desire to please Him would be so great that sin would be abhorrent to us, that we would despise it, that we would give no place to the devil, make no provision for the flesh, for easy flirting with sinful temptations, and that selfishness would grieve us, not gratify us. 
and that pride and anger and lust would pain us when it, when it surfaces and not drive our thoughts and our responses and that any sin would be quickly known and quickly confessed and repented of, that there would be cleansing and peace and harmony with the Lord our Savior. And not like Balaam. We heard reference to Balaam from one of the letters to the churches. He had a, he recognized God. He was a prophet of God. He was devoted to God to, to some degree, but he was double-minded. And when temptation arrived at Balaam's doorstep, his first interest and his desire was to explore how much he might accommodate this temptation. And so he quite eagerly, it seems, entertained Balak's request because he coveted the reward that Balak was offering for cursing the nation of Israel that was massing on his borders. Balaam seemed ready to go as far as God would give him rope to go. His spiritual sensitivity was dull. Even his donkey had more spiritual perception than he did. But in the end, Balak was angry. And Balaam was disappointed. Balaam, the choices that Balaam made were driven out of fear of God, not love for God. We want to love God so that we want to please Him and do the right thing. How, how we want to love God, we should desire and pray for God's to help us love him more. And when we love God, we love others. Jesus said we are to love one another. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. When we love others, we're not easily jealous but we can rejoice at the good fortune of others. We can be blessed by the, the gifts of others. We're not easily offended. We can rather forgive. We don't take advantage of others, but rather we serve them. We can pray, God, help us to love my neighbors. We should pray that God would help us to love one another. Blind Bartimaeus had a need. No question about it. And it was a need that was worthy of crying out to Jesus about. It was a need that God cared about. Blindness has a great impact on the life. But spiritual needs have an impact on eternity. What difference would it make in our lives, in my life, if I more often, if we more often would cry out earnestly to God, would more often be 
desperate. God, show me your ways. Show me myself. Show me how I should live. Lead me in the way everlasting. Give me grace to do it. Fill me with your spirit. Help me, Father, to love you above all else and to love others as you would have me to. Or any other concern or burden that God would lay on our hearts. Pray and do. Now one thing that Bartimaeus did after he was healed, it said he followed Jesus. I don't know, wish I knew what more happened in his life. We'll know sometime. But I'm sure, I feel real confident that he learned many, many other things. And he learned about his soul. And he found Jesus, I believe, as his Savior. And he found needs in his life. He saw needs in his life. Things that he was doing wrong that God's Spirit spoke to him about. And he saw ways that he could, that he needed to change. And I hope he did that. I hope he followed through. And I hope that he lived the rest of his life on earth loving God with all his heart and soul and strength. And that he loved all his neighbors. And that he served the blind people that he met. And everybody else. And that his life glorified God. We don't know that. But he was starting out right. And we can experience that. We can be, that can be our experience. May God help us. God bless you all. Of you.